Hi, this is your host, Jeff Ragavan, and you're listening to Marketing Mix, where we hear from some of the most influential CMOs of today to discuss the strategies of tomorrow. Welcome to Marketing Mix. I'm here today with Jessica Applegren. Jessica is the Vice President of Communications at Impossible Foods. Jess, it's awesome to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Jeff. Yeah, so Jess, you guys have been making lots of headlines for the last few months. Why do you think today in 2019 more than the last few years? Yeah, it is exciting for sure. And, you know, I got to say, I I credit our founder, Pat Brown, for sort of seizing the moment when he did in 2011 to leave his really cushy job as a Stanford biochemistry professor. He, as he said, he he has dream job, no desire to leave, but he was so motivated by all that he knew about the contribution that animal agriculture and the way we make meat today plays in climate change that he just felt like he had to do something. It's a really inspiring story to me because it wasn't like that was what that guy would do. He had no intention to ever start a business or a company. Um, He just saw a problem and he had a a way of solving it that he didn't think anyone else was pursuing and he felt compelled, you know, to pursue it. So that was in 2011. And, you know, timing wise, I think that our launch of the burger in 2016 with, with David Chang, which obviously was a marketing juggernaut in and of itself by getting a chance to work with David. You know, I think that that was the beginning of some of these products coming on the market that we're starting to interest consumers in a, you know, the possibility of a different way to make meat. But I'd say really what's happening today uh, in 2019 is that we have this amazing coming together of kind of an awakening to the problem that we're trying to solve, which is the contribution animal ag and meat makes to both the climate and also to biodiversity and, you know, water and land. And, you know, there's been so many, as you know, like throwdowns on the climate change side of things that I think it's opening people's eyes to, okay, the way we eat has an impact. And simultaneously, you know, we've been, you know, definitely just scaling since 2016 to the point that we could even begin to think about servicing, you know, a Red Robin or a White Castle or a what was recently announced a Burger King. So the fact that we were able to get to the point that we could make enough product to work with some of these big brands, I think is, is just the reason why this is all sort of happening now. So it's it's a very exciting time because those things are coming together, the problem and the solution with the burger. People are starting to take notice of what's happening with the food that we put into our bodies and what's happening around the world. And, you know, there was a recent Netflix show that came out called What the Health. I don't know if you've seen it or heard of it, um, but it's, it's caused a lot of people, including myself, to take a, a break from meat products. And I think with your company and all of these incredible products that are coming out that taste like meat and almost feel like meat, I think people also are are saying, how do I get my hands on this product, right? I know you guys are all commercial right now, but do you have any plans to bring it to the supermarket? We certainly do. That is definitely going to be the moment that, you know, the rubber hits the road in terms of a consumer movement, you know, around meat made from plants. And we do call it meat. 
like full stop. We're just making it a different way. But we've we've been public about our intentions to go into grocery stores by the end of this year. And I would like to say that we'd be everywhere in grocery stores by the end of this year. We won't. You know, it, it's going to take some time to build up that side of the business and really crush it. And that's our intention with every retailer we go with. So you're definitely going to see it soon. And that's exciting because we're going to turn, you know, the keys over to the consumer to finally get a chance to cook this and understand just the magic of this product, the way it sort of changes when you cook it, just the way meat from a cow does, the the aromas, the just the versatility. You can make anything. Two people in my office actually today, when they heard we were talking, they're like, please ask about this. I want to be able to buy it for it. So you have the demand there. That's yeah. for sure. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between Impossible Burger 1.0 and then the 2.0 burger that you just launched? You bet. And I got to tell you, the thing we hear the most is when are you coming to grocery stores and uh, when can this burger be gluten-free? And that is a, a really awesome benefit of the new version of the burger, but it is truly delicious. So this version of the burger has obviously no cholesterol. It is juicier. It is grillable. It is just tastier in general. I am still amazed when I bite into one of these and I could be convinced that I'm eating meat from a cow, which I still love. So it just hits on all the marks. It just performs exactly like you want it to. This version of the burger is also kosher. It is um, halal. So gluten-free was definitely one of those boxes to check so that that population can come under the tent. So we, we hit that, but it also means that you could throw this burger down on the grill and summertime, like it will perform exactly like a, a burger from a cow and the last version, it didn't. So we're just getting better. I mean, the, the beauty of Impossible Foods is we get better every day. We are testing different versions of the burger every single day. We have lots of other products we're testing every single day. And we have this ability to sort of you know, turn up the volume on things that consumers want and turn down the volume on things they don't. So it's um, it's going to change over time. And the 2.0 version, though, it's hard to see how it could get better. So it's exciting. When you're thinking about advertising, what are some of the ways that you're able to, say, target people who eat meat versus people who are vegan? You know, I, I love burgers, but I'm also totally up for something that's healthier and better for the planet. Yeah, so well, you're talking to the VP of comms because <laughs> we are largely a an earned media brand. So, uh, you know, we lean heavily, heavily into old-fashioned PR tactics that just seem to work because we have just such a steady stream of news. Um, we are, you know, not not over over indexed on ad spend, but the I think the real marketing genius here was in choosing the chefs that are known for being meat chefs right from the beginning. So Chris Cosentino at Coxcomb in San Francisco and Michael Simon in Detroit and Dave Chang in particular, all these guys were known for the meat that they cook. So going to their restaurants and having their endorsement on this product was kind of the best ad move we could have ever made. Um, and then we follow, we followed that up as we went to quick service restaurants. So the, the fast food chains that serve this are just the place where meat eaters go. So because of that, that adoption that we're seeing in those restaurants is just purely about bringing the carnivores in. And this is 
a hundred percent not a product for vegans and vegetarians. We are we are converting the carnivores. So where we show up, I think it's a big part of our strategy and how we are getting all of those fans. So for for a lot of the listeners that might not know about Impossible Foods and especially the burger. Can you maybe talk to us a little bit about heme, which is, you know, the main compound or ingredient that, that actually produces the almost real quality taste of real meat? You bet. Yeah, it's pretty magical. And that kind of goes back to when Pat Brown decided, okay, I got to do this. Took a sabbatical. He, you know, thought about putting together, you know, a group of academics to solve this problem. But instead, he decided he had to do um, a market-based solution. He had to create uh, a meat that would be so delicious and nutritious and affordable that there would be no reason not to eat the, the product from plants. And key to that, he knew, was really just figuring out what made, what makes meat taste like meat. So take a step back and realize that, you know, we don't really fundamentally understand or we didn't what that magic was that meat that meat is that makes consumers so ravenous, you know, to eat it. It's really is the heme. So heme is a basic building block of life. It's a molecule that does a lot of heavy lifting in all sorts of ways, but it is found in every living animal, every living thing, plants especially, but it's particularly abundant in uh, meat from animals. It's what makes our blood red heme. And we we knew that, or he knew that it would be abundant in the root nodules of nitrogen fixing plants like soybeans, and that sort of um, suspicion that that might be what makes meat taste like meat. This sort of plant blood that was the the start of uh, our heme discovery, and we intended at the beginning to plant a whole bunch of soybeans and then harvest the tiny bit of heme that is in the root nodule to make our heme, but that was definitely not a sustainable, like scalable way to produce heme. So instead we figured out that through fermentation, we could make, you know, giant quantities of of heme. So what the team did was they genetically modified a yeast strain to produce the heme through fermentation. But, you know, we are genetically modifying a yeast strain. And that has been an interesting sort of messaging challenge to to convey that that is the right way to do this. And this is the, and heme is the thing that we're all going to need to make the meat of the future, yeah, you know, meat of the future tastes like meat. You know, I think we've successfully conveyed all the information that consumers need to know and be confident that this is this is a magic ingredient, and we're really lucky to have discovered it. Awesome. So when you're talking about, let's just say, carnivores really converting because the burger tastes so good, or is it really that perhaps you might be convincing them of the benefits of going meat-free? It's kind of an interesting, you know, play we're making here because our target is the, you know, hardcore meat lover. And we just want them to love this. We want them to choose this you know, on their own accord, because it's tastier, it is, you know, nutritious, it's better for the world, it makes them feel better. We hear that often that, you know, eating the impossible burger that's got equal protein to meat from a cow and less calories and less fat slightly, you know, and no cholesterol, that it makes them feel better. So if you're, if you're choosing this because of those reasons, you know, you don't need to make some sort of like identity switch from a carnivore to a vegetarian or vegan. You're just eating something you love. And, you know, over time, 
the more we can, you know, get to make that switch, that's what's going to solve this problem. It's not by convincing people they need to make a change or do something differently than they already do. So our strategy really is like, just do what you're doing. Just make, you know, do it with this product instead of the product you're currently doing with it with. And it's working, you know, people are adding this to their diet and they are in effect then taking away meat from a cow. It's replacing the burger that they used to eat. And largely that's happening with carnivores. You know, I think from uh, just the industry standard, you guys were up for all these amazing awards. You guys were literally named, you know, the best of the best. You had the most unexpected product <laughs> award, the most impactful product. It's incredible. Like you guys are, have had all these accolades and you know, it's really amazing work. But when you think about your brand, like how do you continue to keep up with these expectations when everyone's like, you guys are the most innovative, most delicious product out there? It's pretty fun to, that like we already have plans to do um, even better next year at CES. <laughs> Those awards came out of CES and it was largely, I think, the fact that we you know, nobody had ever launched uh, a food product at CES. So we were a first because we straddle like this space of like, we're a tech company. We're also a food company. We are a, you know, sustainability mission driven company. We can, we can play with our identity. So going to CES to launch the next version of our burger was so curious, you know, to people and um, surprising that I think there was a giant amount of interest in what we were doing and how we were doing it. So, you know, all of the awards coming out of it were, were just cherry on the top. Um, but the response that we got from that community to this version of the burger was just better than, better than we could have hoped. But of course we've got to top it. So next year we are already coming up with a plan to, to do just that. And, you know, news wise, I mean, just every customer that is putting their hand up to adopt this it, it is news because we know that that means that um, America is sort of changing, you know, their their perspective here. I saw some research by Civic Science. Um, they did a study right after we launched with Burger King. This was totally independent, and and I, this just came across my desk. But it, it was two thousand people, kind of a U.S. sampling, and that one in five Americans, you know, are likely to try the Impossible Whopper. You know, and that is, uh, you know, fifth of this of this country is likely to be adopting this product as just part of their life. And those are not vegetarians. Um, those are overwhelmingly meat eaters. What has the feedback been around that? Like, so people who literally would never in a million years think about having not a Whopper, they go and they have the impossible Whopper. Like, what, what did they say? What we hear, and we, of course, do our, our brand tracker, and we also do a lot of consumer research. We hear that they are wanting more options, that they are wanting to be more thoughtful about their diet sort of holistically, that the kind of newness here is really exciting, but it's the surprising, delicious experience that they have when they try the burger that keeps them coming back for more. What we, what we have found is just tasting is believing. So the best marketing and advertising we could do at this point is just get it in as many people's mouths as possible because the First time you have that experience, and I'm going to make that happen for you very soon because following this this awesome podcast, you just you realize, oh, this is exactly what I was craving, and it doesn't have these you know negative side effects like cholesterol and the fact that it you know an animal had to make that product. So 
we're just hearing that it's, it's just meeting the mark. All those things that we know that it needs to meet, like nutrition and deliciousness and craveability and affordability too. Now, I mean, the Impossible Whopper that is only at 59 locations in St. Louis right now, but soon, you know, that will change. It's about a buck more than their original Whopper. And, you know, it's kind of like the comparison between grass-fed beef and, you know, 80-20 ground beef on the market. So I think consumers are willing to pay that right now. And it's at a price point that is accessible. Yeah. How did the uh, how did the partnership come about? We are, you know, talking to everyone right now. I mean, our mission is so critical. It's to completely replace the need for animals in the food system by 2035 and, you know, all the benefits to the planet that are part of that mission and bringing them about. And because it's so urgent, you know, we really do need to be everywhere, you know, that you currently are going for meat from a cow. So early, early talks with, with all of these players have, you know, now escalated now that we've, we've um, been able to ramp our production. But I think we started talking to Burger King in the fall of last year. And, you know, they, they wanted, they wanted a product that would be a new option for consumers and really not be a veggie burger. They already had a veggie burger, but be um, a real, you know, worthy of the Whopper name. And we did some, you know, back and forth testing of different versions of the burger that would form factor wise that would hold up to the way they flame broil their burgers and developed a version that would work perfectly in their system. And then by early this year, we were already talking launch plans. They are one of the most fun brands to align with. They are super creative. They are willing to uh, try anything. They, um, they're super like raw human, you know, in how they connect with people. And we, we love that. Yeah. It's, I mean, listen, great, great stuff all around. I think, you know, you guys have a ton of stuff going on for you right now. I think even in the world of supermarkets, there's so many products available to people who are looking for alternatives, right? To meat, to dairy, to all that stuff. So it's kind of a, a perfect time for you, perfect storm with the world. So, you know, congratulations on, on all the success and I can't wait personally to have my first um, impossible burger. You are going to have that very soon. I'm going to get right on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jess, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was great to hear a little more about what you guys are up to. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Marketing Mix. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Be sure to share and subscribe. Until next time, take care.